Our text today is John chapter 11, as we go through the I am statements in the Gospel of John. Today, we'll be in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord. Here in John eleven twenty five and verse 26, Jesus makes a declaration that is more powerful than we realize, I believe. I hope you not only believe this, but that you know in Christ you have been crucified with him and you have been resurrected into his life. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is what the book of Revelation calls the first resurrection in Revelation 20, verse 5. It is the first resurrection that gives you power over the second death spoken of in Revelation 20, verse 6, verse 14, and verse 15. The second death is the lake of fire. The second death is our eternal separation from God. The first resurrection, those who partake in the first resurrection, the scripture says the second death has no power over them. If you are in Christ, you are not waiting to be resurrected. As you were born again of the Spirit, you were raised with Him and you are now seated with Him in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2.6. That does not mean that you are not seated here in Christ Fellowship Church in Taylor, Texas. It means you hold a seat of authority in Christ who has already raised you up in His resurrection life and seated you with Him far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. He is head over all things, and you are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You'll find that language. You'll find those truths recorded for us in the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians. Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you are the resurrection and the life. And we ask that you would, by your spirit that dwells in us, impart that truth to us and illuminate that truth so that we would know not only who you are, but who we are in you. That we would know that we are not just living on this earth waiting to go to heaven, but, Father, we have been redeemed by your blood, when dwelt by your Holy Spirit, raised in your life, and we are seated with you in heavenly places far above all power and principality. And you have given to us your name and the authority of that name, and you have commissioned us, and you have commanded us to go and to disciple the nations, to fill this earth with the knowledge of the glory 
of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Father, we thank you for that grace and that privilege given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us to walk worthy of that calling. In Jesus' name, amen. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus spoke those words in the context of Lazarus being dead and Martha, his sister, lamenting the fact that Jesus did not arrive earlier to prevent her brother from dying. And when you read that text in John, you'll see that is in fact why Jesus delayed his coming to Lazarus. His plan was not only a declaration, but a demonstration for Martha, for Mary, for all those around, but also for the world, that he is the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Those are the words of Jesus. The power of that truth declared and demonstrated by Jesus is changing the world. Now, we can be tempted to speak in the past tense and say that Jesus changed the world, and that would be true, but it would be incorrect to leave that statement in the past tense for Jesus with his church is changing the world. He's doing so even as we speak right now. The power of those words go far beyond the personal promise of eternal life in heaven. I do not in any way minimize the promise of eternal life or of heaven, for our hope is eternally bound up in that promise. I do believe we have been sadly conditioned to think about our salvation in far too narrow ways. I believe many Christians think of salvation almost exclusively in terms of the personal impact it has on their life and death. We think about it mostly around death. For many, thoughts about salvation consist largely of what happens to a person after death. Because of what Jesus did, the believer enters heaven to be with the Lord and their saved loved ones forever. This is no doubt good news. I'm not saying it isn't. It is very good news. It should bring us great comfort and great peace. But what I am saying is that's, that's not all the good news. It's not even close to all the good news. In fact, there is much more good news than just the promise of heaven one day. The good news of Christ is to impact all of life for all the world to a thousand generations. Our salvation is not about death. It is about life. For too many Christians, heaven is a time and a place too far off and too far away to have any real relevance in daily life. If not vigilant, we'll find ourselves spiritually passive and spiritually fruitless while we become buried under the busyness of life amidst the cares of this world. Chasing and building our own empires when God has called us to build his kingdom. We may find ourselves dreaming of the day when Jesus will return or even when we will go to him. That's not necessarily a bad thing until it distracts us from what Jesus commands us to do. It seems the church is very distracted today 
That's my take. That's my opinion as I look at the landscape of the church. It's very distracted today by many things. And I pray the Lord in His grace will bring our focus back on being about the Father's business and seeing His kingdom come and His will being done here and now as it is in heaven. We are commissioned to boldly go, not to passively wait. The Lord did command His disciples to wait in prayer for the promise of power to go fulfill the commission He gave them. That commission is to disciple the nations. There is no end date. There's no time stamp on that command Jesus gave to His church. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That is what we call the Great Commission. Those are the words of Jesus. That is the command of Jesus to his church. That means that is the command of Jesus to all of us here today who count ourselves as his church. How do we know this commission will be fulfilled? Well, one certain way we know is because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The power of his resurrection is greater than the power of any enemy, greater than the power of sin, and greater than the power of death. Another way we can know is by simply looking at history. It's why we're teaching through, walking through the, the, the history timeline on Wednesday night. Starting at creation, we're, we're, we're almost, no, we actually have just passed the birth of Jesus. So we're going through the, the timeline of history. Well, why would we go through the timeline of history? Because when we look at the timeline of history, we see actually what the gospel has accomplished. Politicians ask this question frequently when conducting campaigns for election or re-election. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Well, let me ask you a different question, a little bit different. Are you better off today than you would have been 2,000 years ago? How about 1,000 years ago? How about 676 years ago when the Black Plague broke out and killed one-third of Europe? Do you think you're better off today than you were then? Or we could ask it like this. Are you better off with clean water, climate-controlled homes and buildings, a ready supply of fresh and safe food, and relative peace and safety and stability? How about education and books and technology so prevalent that we take them for granted? And children in America have so much opportunity for education, they don't even want it because it means nothing to them. Yet children in other countries, like the children I met in Ethiopia this past summer, are desperate for an education because they don't have books laying around, technology laying around. And they know the value of learning to read and write. Do you know that through much of history, the majority of the world was illiterate? Yet today we have so much education, so many books, so much technology. It's so prevalent that we take it for granted. 
So are we better off today than we would have been in times past? And the answer is, of course, you are better off. But those are all humanistic and materialistic reasons, not to mention the most important reason we are better off. The most important reason we are better off is because Christ came and redeemed us from sin and death. So why are you better off? Why are you better off in every way? And the answer can be summed up in four short words. You are better off today because of the gospel of Christ. It is the gospel that has given you everything you have. And I would challenge you if you don't believe that. It is the gospel that gave us the very things we take for granted, the very things we think are just here because, because of what? Because of man? Because of man's ingenuity? Yes, why does, God have, why does man have ingenuity? Because God gave it to him. Why is man be able to do all the things that he's been able to do? Because God gave him the grace to do it. And the gospel has transformed the world, in particular the Western world, the first world, so that we have advanced beyond what 676 years ago when the Black Plague broke out in Europe, no one could have even imagined. They couldn't even imagine living the next day, much less experiencing a world we have today. But yet, here we are, living in the world we have today. How? By grace, by God's grace, because the gospel is actually saving the world, just like God said it would, just like the prophets said it would, just like Jesus said it would. Why do we have the good news of Christ? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What does it mean to say that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Well, Paul answers this in his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 through 19. Paul writes, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we have reason to boldly hope and to boldly go and command men to believe on the name of Jesus. It is not in this life only that we have hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ is eternal. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Our hope is eternal in this age and in the age to come. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, our hope is sure. The hope we have in this life must never be minimized. And what I'm saying is we don't just live here trying to get by, trying to survive until we get to heaven. That's not what God's called us to do. The hope we have in this life is to be maximized as we walk by faith through this life, knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Again, the Apostle Paul conveys this truth in his letter to the Romans when he writes in chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly 
waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Did you hear that? The creation is eagerly waiting. What do you mean, Pastor Jeff? I mean exactly what the Bible says. The creation is eagerly waiting. Rocks, trees, lakes, rivers, oceans, birds, cats, dogs. The creation, the universe is waiting. Why is it waiting? Because it was subjected to futility. It was subjected. It fell when Adam fell because Adam was given authority over all the creation to subdue it, to take dominion, and to fill it. And when he fell, he didn't just fall. All creation fell with him. Let me go on. Verse 20. But the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And that's what we're doing. We're eagerly waiting for it. Waiting for what? Waiting for the redemption, the adoption of our body that will happen one day. This body will be changed because I have already been changed. Your body will be changed if you have already been changed by what the Bible calls the new birth. You will be transformed because you have been transformed. Because you have been resurrected with him. Because you are seated with him. Because you have been saved. And he is your life. You don't live your own life. He is your life. If you're living your own life, it is not your best life. It's, it's really doomed if it's your life that you're living. If Christ is not your life, you have no life. Even if you do not feel as though you are suffering now, because Paul begins this and he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, you say, well, man, I'm not suffering. Even if you don't feel as though you are suffering now, compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day, not to us, but in us. As believers, there is a glory that will be revealed in you, not just to you. And this present time, no matter how good it is for you, this present time pales in comparison to what shall one day be revealed. We know the day is coming when the sons of God and the glory in them shall be revealed. There is even an expectation of the creation as it eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Our salvation in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, has the creation eagerly waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This is only possible because Jesus is who he declared himself to be. He is the resurrection and the life. 
He is the first fruits of resurrection. And we are those who follow, raised up in his resurrection life, now in the spirit and one day in the body. The creation is waiting to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Even ourselves, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. All those aches and pains, all the sickness, all the suffering, all the terminal diagnoses that people receive will be nothing one day. Death will be no more. Pain, suffering, tears will be no more except for tears of joy. But we're not there yet. We were saved in this hope. And our hope is sure because we know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Christ is risen, so in Christ we too have been raised up. We're not waiting to be raised up. We've already been raised up in Christ because Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 and through 22 Paul writes, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. By the man Adam came death. By the man Jesus Christ comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We are all sons of Adam in the humanity of our first birth. In Adam, all die. We become sons of God in the Spirit by our new birth in Christ. So, all who are in Christ shall be made alive. You, he made alive who were dead. Do you realize that? You were dead. But if you are in Christ, he has made you alive. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And you... He made alive who were dead in trespass and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." This is why Paul says, I have no reason to boast except in the cross of Christ. Because we were all children of wrath by nature until God changed our nature and gave us a new life and caused us to be born again in Christ. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where you are now if you are in Christ. Now, we are not sitting in heavenly places doing nothing, playing tiddlywinks waiting for the world to end. No. We are seated together in Christ, ruling and reigning with Him. That's why you're seated here on this earth, yet you have a position with Him. It's a position of authority. 
What are you to do with that authority? You're to take that authority as you are seated with Christ, and you are to see his kingdom come and his will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. That's the authority God's given you. That's what he commanded you to do in the Great Commission. And the fact that, that the scripture says you're seated with him there tells you you've got the authority to do that. Now, the question is, is that what we're doing? We're seated together in Christ, ruling and reigning with him. He is the king on his throne. We are called a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, that means strange. Don't, don't try to not be strange. The world's going to think you're strange if you love Jesus and you obey him. Don't worry. You're supposed to be strange. And you're not going to answer to the world one day. You're not going to stand before the world and have to answer why you were so strange. You're going to stand before the Lord of glory, your creator, your savior. I hope he is. You're going to answer to him. He is the king on the throne. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people who are to show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 8, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In our salvation in Christ, we have been given a position to rule and to reign with him on this earth. The question is, do we know our power and do we know our position? The prayer of the Apostle Paul to the church is that we do. This is what Paul prays. There's a prayer of Paul's recorded for us in Ephesians, in his letter to the Ephesians. And here's his prayer recorded for us in, in chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. He says, I pray for you without ceasing. Well, what's the prayer? The prayer is this, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, say with me, all things. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What Paul writes in these verses is a picture of a church raised up in Christ, seated in a position of power and authority, and ruling and reigning with Christ over all things that have been placed under his feet. There is no part, and I mean no part, to the farthest galaxy, to the smallest nanoparticle. There is no part of his creation that Jesus is not ruling and reigning over. For he is the resurrection and the life he has conquered sin and death, and he reigns victorious over all. That includes every person, every place, every purpose, every situation, every circumstance, whether we like it or not. He rules and he reigns over it. As his church, 
As his body, we reign with him as he has seated us together with him in the heavenly places. This does not mean, hear me well, church, this does not mean we will not have tribulation. We do, and we will. Jesus promised we would, but he said, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. My point in drawing your attention to these things is that you see your salvation as something much greater than your ticket to heaven. As great as that is, it's greater. There's a greater purpose. It reaches far beyond your personal promise of eternal life. Your salvation is to reach into all of life for all the world from generation to generation to generation. Your salvation is not about your death. It is about your life and the life of of those all around you, the life all around you and beyond. It's about your life right now and how it will impact the world around you right now and beyond your days here in both small and great ways. In ways you can see, but perhaps mostly in ways you cannot see. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you're living your life based on what you can see, I mean, to say you're missing it is an understatement that that can't even be put into the human language. We walk by faith and not by sight. It is God who sees and knows and ordains all that your life will impact. Your consistent, obedient faithfulness in the small things will ensure God-ordained impact in greater things, whether you see them or not. Know that your life matters. Your faith matters. Jesus taught us to pray, His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was certainly commanded, he has certainly commanded and commissioned us to do that as we disciple the nations, world without end until he comes again. I want to close with an excerpt from a book by R.J. Rushdoony titled, Thy Kingdom Come. He writes, and I quote, The book of Revelation presents the kingdom age not as a millennial pipe dream, but as a period of struggle wherein Christ's church victoriously marches against the enemy, its redeemer dispossessing the power of darkness in order to reclaim and repossess the lost inheritance, creation in its original state. Two aspects of this restoration must be distinguished. First, repossession, which Christ through his church victoriously establishes during the gospel or kingdom age. That's where we are right now. This is the true millennium, the true reign of Christ and his saints as they bring men and nations under the dominion of Christ. Second, recreation whereby the repossessed heaven and earth, the false prophet, beast, and dragon, or Satan, being destroyed and cast into hell, the the repossessed heaven and earth are now made anew in order to become the eternal heaven and earth, which is the habitation of the Lord and His people throughout eternity. The power of sin was broken on the cross, 
and death overcame in the resurrection. The victory is manifested through the gospel age and its fullness manifested in the eternal kingdom of God, the new creation. The new creation is both the final act and the process before the act. The new creation begins with the first resurrection, i.e., the salvation of each sinner, and it continues with his sanctification. The new creation involves bringing every thought, every realm, nation, and art into captivity to Christ, and it means the restoration of sovereignty to the rightful Lord, Jesus Christ. It culminates in the great act, the creation of a new heaven and earth, close quote. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Because he is, we know he is victorious over sin and death. Because he is, so are we. Because he is the resurrection and the life, we know that he is ruling and reigning over all that has been placed under his feet. And because he is, so are we. Because he is the resurrection and the life, we know his life will overcome. Because he is, we too will overcome in this age and in the age to come. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who trusts in him, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. We believe this. Do you believe this? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. This is the climax of each week's Lord's Day worship when God invites us to His table to eat bread and drink wine, to be renewed in the covenant that He has established with us, for us, by giving up His body and pouring out His blood at the cross. If you count yourself a covenant member of Christ's body, whether you are a member of this local body or not, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe that everyone born again, everyone counting themselves a member of Christ's covenant body is welcome to the Lord's table because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. So Christian, you are welcome to the table. You are welcome to Jesus. We will all uh, be served, and then we'll all eat and drink together. Please stand for your charge. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Christ Fellowship Church, do you believe this? If so, then live like you believe it. Live like your life matters, because it does. Live like your life is making a difference, because it is, in one way or another. Live in a manner that makes your life count for His glory. Live in a manner that yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Live a life conformed to God's holy word and God's holy Son. Live a life filled with His Spirit. Live for His glory to see His kingdom come. His will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. I, want to, I want to reiterate again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. If you came here expecting a Mother's Day message, well, you got it. Because what better message for mothers than what you heard today? Mothers, you have been entrusted with no, there is no more precious gift than God has, that God could entrust than your children to nurture them, fathers, to raise them up, to be that example, to raise them in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Mothers, fathers, take heart, rejoice. God has blessed you. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. And happy day to all of us. Because this is the day the Lord has made. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lord, you. Have a great day.